Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, where healthcare meets business, with your host, me, Dr. Karen Litzy. And just as a reminder, the information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not to be used as personalized medical advice. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Litzy, owner of Karen Litzy Physical Therapy, located in New York City. And in today's episode, we are focusing on the dissemination of accurate information to the public by physical therapists. We are ideally positioned to uh, disseminate accurate musculoskeletal information to the general public as well as to our patients. So to help us in this episode, I'm so excited to have on the podcast Dr. Tom Walters. He's a board-certified orthopedic physical therapist that specializes in, in the treatment of pain and movement disorders. He is the founder of Rehab Science and dedicates his time to teaching people about human movement, pain, and how to most effectively recover from injury. Aside from that, he's a newly published author with uh, the name of the book called Rehab Science. Um, And we tell you all about how to get the book and also how you can read a chapter of the book for free. So you kind of have to stay through the podcast to listen for that. Um, And regardless of what podcast platform you're listening in, check out the show notes for links to everything that we talk about in today's episode. So a big thanks to Tom and a big thank you to you for listening and uh, enjoy today's episode. Hey, Tom, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you on to talk all things information dissemination and your book, which we will get to later on the podcast. So people have to wait for that. They have to wait for the book info. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Karen. Excited to chat with you. Like I said, we've I've kind of known of you for years. We kind of have similar connections in our PT network. So it's awesome yep. to get a chance to kind of e-meet a little bit. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Meet via Zoom and podcast and YouTube and all that fun stuff. So um, I'm I'm really happy and excited to talk about um, kind of getting information out to people. I know it's something you're passionate about with your 1 million followers on Instagram. It's something I'm passionate about with like my 5,000 followers on Instagram. <laughs> it's but, crazy. Yeah. But, um, so let's, let's kind of back things up to when did you make the decision? Like, you know, I, I'm really, I really want to reach the public I want them to understand what I'm learning and help people through painful conditions. So give us a little backstory. Yeah, well, I started getting involved really posting about physical therapy related content after a after I've been practicing about 10 years. And I prior to that, you and I were talking about before we got on here, I was involved on in sort of Facebook discussion groups. We were in a lot of the same groups talking about pain science. And I was interested in that because in those years, early years of practice, my PT program did not expose me to a lot of pain science. And so I came out with a very postural, structural, biomechanical kind of idea of how pain works and uh, what and how interventions work. So but as I was practicing pretty quickly, I realized, right, there's a lot of people that get better and then a lot of people who don't. And uh, maybe those explanations aren't aren't describing everything. 
And so, and I think at the same time, I was also running into a lot of narratives that really frustrated to me that um, I think, you know, some practitioners would intentionally spread to people and unintentionally. And I know I'm guilty of it too. As an early practitioner, you say things, you use language, things like that, that are probably harmful to people. And it's yes. such a such a constant evolution. But uh, there were some things that were very obviously intentionally harmful and nocivic to people. And that was really frustrating to me. And I was in a, I had taken a full-time teaching job in a kinesiology program here in Santa Barbara. And I was teaching biomechanics and at a therapeutic exercise class and, and then developed a pain science class. But in that period of time, in that kind of academic setting where I had a little bit more of kind of an open schedule, I decided I'm going to start posting on social media. And I think having had that 10 years of practice, you know, you start to see common patterns in humans and the diagnoses that come to the door, questions that are asked. And I thought, I'm just going to try to address some of these each day. I, I, for whatever reason, never got a lot of satisfaction from the one-on-one visits with people. Uh, I really feel most passionate about education, but on a one-on-one level, I just didn't feel like I was making a big enough difference. And so I kind of hoped to have some ability to reach more people and teaching at the college here was, you know, kind of a leap and getting to talk to undergraduates about pain and exercise and all these things. And then as the social media accounts grew, I just, it was really exciting to me because it was kind of, since I was a little kid, something I was kind of hoping to be able to reach more people and do something, influence people in a positive way. And so you know, to this day, that's that account hitting a million followers. I started it in 2016. It's unbelievable to see and something I always feel grateful for because, you know, I just, again, the mission is kind of, I think to talk about physical therapy, I think there's a lot of people, unfortunately, who have negative views of physical therapy from bad experiences um, with, you know, lots of factors, but I think it's a nice way to kind of promote the profession and let people know what physical therapists know. And then hopefully to put out things that aren't nocebic and combat and sort of push back against, because like you said, there's a lot of nocebic harmful accounts out there on social media. And so yes. I know I'm not perfect and it's always a constant evolution. You never know. It's a tricky balance because you're trying to get people to engage with content, but also not push very tissue driven pain concepts, but that's what the public latches onto. So it's this tricky thing right. of getting people in, like hooking them in and then trying to educate them on the sort of the complexity of pain. And do you feel like your background as a teacher helped with the dissemination of information through your social media channels? You know, So meaning like, do you kind of have like a syllabus or a playbook that you work with when you are creating social media posts for, let's say, the week or the month or something like that? Is that does that make sense? Yeah, I get what you're saying. I don't have anything like that. Um, I do think that teaching was hugely helpful in that I just was talking about things for years. So I think I got better at talking about it. And that also helped in writing, you know, because a lot of the social media content, at least with the type I do, initially was more written, you know, mm-hmm. pictures and videos and things, but right. there'd be the written, you know, the description and things that would go with the post. But slowly over time, there's been more video based things, especially being more active on YouTube. So I do think, you know, when you talk about these types of orthopedic injuries and pain issues for years and years and years, you just get 
it becomes more natural just to talk about it all the time. But uh, I don't have a sort of a syllabus in terms of what I do on social media or some kind of curriculum or plan um, that I'm sort of following uh, in terms of what I do. It's just it's really been just kind of an evolution of figuring out what worked and then really just going back to what did a patient ask me about in the clinic mm. today? And is that something I addressed? You know, this person had a wrist injury and, uh, you know, had this kind of mobility limitation. Have I addressed this or, you know, some things like that. So it was sort of the clinical practice, seeing patients very much um, influenced and, sort of inspired a lot of the social media content. And I think they just kind of, you know, like you, I'm sure you're aware they kind of feed off each other, the education and the practice kind of. So yeah. that's sort of, yeah, it's kind of how it happened. Yeah. And when, when we talk about getting information out and research out, so I don't know if a lot of people know this, well, maybe my audience does, or maybe not, but that research to practice and implementation can sometimes, what is it now? Seven years, mm-hmm. eight years or something like that, right? Yeah. Yep, you hear so, a lot. Yeah. yeah. And so that's where work that you do becomes so important. And if you're doing it to your 1 million followers, it's awesome. You're reaching a lot of people, but how can we get more physical therapists or more healthcare practitioners to reach out to their hundred or thousand or 10,000 followers, right? So what are your best tips when it comes to disseminating educational content of quite frankly, some complex, um, complex ideas and complex, uh, systems that happen in the body repain, right? Super complex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tricky. And you don't want people, because that is the hard part with social media is that there's so much nuance to these topics and you don't want people to think that this post covers all of it, you know? So it is a tricky line to walk and something that I'm always mindful of, especially when you get into things where you're showing some movements or exercises for them to try, you know, because there's no explanation. It's not tailored to anyone specifically. There's no instructions on how to progress from one thing, you know? So you don't want people to think physical therapy is just these six exercises, like the PT program for <laughs> right. this condition, these six exercises, and that's it. Right. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I think best tips, you know, if I look, I think there's a lot. I do think as physical therapists, we know a lot about musculoskeletal health and injury and pain rehabilitation. And I think the public doesn't always know what we know. You know, I think we, as PTs, you know, as we're, I think there's sort of this mixing of trainers and strength and conditioning specialists and PTs. And sometimes it just kind of all looks like the same thing. And Mm -hmm. I don't think the public always knows, you know, the whole differential diagnosis kind of education we have, what we know about kind of pathology, injury, healing, pain, science, all those things that really help separate us. And so I think any PT who's out there, uh, who is interested in education, no matter what the size of their following is there, they can play a big part in this. And I think it doesn't have to be really complicated. Uh, you know, a lot of times with social media content, sometimes people want things to be perfect before they'll do anything. And I think, uh, you know, when it comes to these things, just, you know, picking a common question, like I was talking about before a common question and, just addressing part of it. I mean, you can't get into the whole thing, but maybe it's a common problem someone comes in with or a common question, or it's some sort of false belief. I think 
those often are things that I really like to push back on because there's, you know, there's so many false beliefs patients have, whether they're getting from other things online, family and friends, uh, you know, so it, pushing back on those, I just think there is so much good that we can do as PTs creating content that reaches more people. And I mean, some people don't like it, but I do think there's a lot of PTs who are interested in this, whether it's from a just I want to help people understand us better, or maybe also maybe there's a business opportunity mm-hmm. to reach more people. And I, so I think there's probably a little bit of both for most PTs, but I do think there's a really an opportunity to help the public understand more about pain and injury rehabilitation and what exactly we know and can do as PTs. And how much when you're thinking of this, uh, of different posts and educational posts, how much do you take jargon out of it? Do you keep it in with an explanation? Because we don't want to lose people along the way. Like even talking about like nocebic language, people are like, what are you talking about? Yeah. What, like, yeah. if you're in the healthcare field, you know what that means. Mm-hmm. But if you're like, what, like you lost me, forget it. I'm moving on. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you're structuring a post, like you said, you want to kind of hook people in. So can you walk us through, uh, just for other, for the listeners, kind of, how you hook people, hook them in, and then how do you keep them in? And then how do you get them moving? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think because social media, whatever platform you're on is highly visual, the, I find the best things to engage people and hook them are visual things, which are usually anatomy type images, you know? So whether it's, uh, I'll use a combination of, um, a lot of times the ones that do the best are sort of like an anatomy illustration of Mm -hmm. whatever topic that I'm going to talk about in that post. And now that is the part where it's tricky. You know, you were, we were talking about, you want to hook people in, but you don't want them. You also want to be careful, right. To not make people believe that every pain issue, blame every pain issue on the tissues, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so that part's tricky. So you're trying to kind of bring people in with something about the, physical mechanical part of the body with an anatomy illustration but then trying to dive deeper into it in the written part of the post and so Mm -hmm. I usually will have something like that and then in the text a combination of sort of I think that medical sort of rehabilitation language because I do think people understand more than we give them credit for sometimes but I will try to use some of that language almost kind of a hybrid mix of you know maybe it's a kinesiology related term like uh, the posterior knee, but I'll put backside or something in parentheses and I'll just try to break it down. So if the person, I think it's nice for people to learn some of those words, if we can break it down um, and just help them understand what it really means, but then they're introduced to the word and, you know, because like you and I know, uh, there's a lot of medical terms that uh, people don't understand. And when you don't understand something, sometimes it can be threatening. So using some of that terminology and educating the public on what it means the next time they have an imaging report or something, maybe it seems less scary because right. you know, no radiologist is trying to make that less threatening. Right. No, no, <laughs> so. no. And oftentimes the, the, the doctors aren't either, mm-hmm. you know, because you'll hear, Oh, you have, you, you know, I had a woman who was in her fifties, early fifties. And I was like, you got a hip of an 80 year old. I don't know what to <laughs> tell you. And I was like, wait a second. No, 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 no. 
Back it up, back it up. Yeah. Hold on here. Yeah. Like yeah. we can work with this. Like you mm -hmm. don't need a hip replacement at 50 or 51, whatever she was. Yeah. And, but that kind of, so just so people know that's no CBIC language. Yes. Thank you for clarifying. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I just spouted that off earlier. Not that's, knowing. Yeah. That's, that's a great example of yes. no CBIC language. Yes. Um, and how scary that is. Like she came in, she was shivering with in, in, you know, just petrified of like, I'm, I can't get a hip replacement. I have two young kids. Yeah. Right. So yeah. do you, is that the kind of feedback that you get from people when they're, they're reading through your posts? I don't know what your DMS are like, but do you get a lot of feedback? Like, Oh, I never, I didn't know that that was a thing or, you know, how do you, I guess the question is how do you quantify how well you're disseminating? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've always thought it'd be really interesting to do a research study on. You this. should. Uh, you oh should. Goodness, it would be amazing. I keep thinking I should try and hook up with people and do right. something on education related. Actually, to... I'll. I'm gonna. I'm gonna introduce you to someone. That would be. Amazing. I'll introduce you to yeah. someone. Yeah. 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 So, so I, I think I, would be a good fit. I think there's a lot of potential here to study this and, like you say, try to make it objective in some way and measure it and see mm -hmm. what is the influence really like. Because obviously, I'm getting a, the people who respond positively, they don't, may, maybe they represent the whole, maybe they don't. I don't know. You know, but yeah. I, m most of the things I see are positive. So it's usually, um, you know, a lot of it is, I think for people, they're seeing some condition and seeing that there's something they can do on their own. And I think that's empowering to people. So I do think a lot about self-efficacy and trying to, when appropriate, give people things, education and movement related things that they can do that are, again, I'm not doing an evaluation, so I don't know the person's exact symptoms, but I right. do think over the years, I've seen that if you learn about something and get into the right area with generally the right exercises, and you know how to modify and choose things that aren't flaring you up, that a lot of people do get better. And I think yeah. that's interesting to see. Yeah. And of course, there are people who aren't and maybe they then an evaluation and getting to the root of whatever uh, might be causing their pain is, is important. Um, so I think there's that kind of side where people are feeling like, okay, there's something I can do here. Uh, I can kind of take this on and take responsibility for it. Um, the other part you asked about, I do think sometimes when trying to combat sort of harmful messages, these no see bit kind of messages. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do think that there, I will get feedback from people saying, oh, I didn't realize, you know, like leg length is one sometimes I'll talk about. Oh uh, my God. How many people do we have come who believe that their leg length discrepancy is the reason for everything that's wrong with them? Uh, yeah, all the time. And then, but then you have to be very gentle to flip that belief sure. right because sure. otherwise they'll be well yeah. uh, then i'm out of here yeah they'll fight you they'll, it'll yeah. turn into a battle yeah it's a yeah. super tricky thing and you know i mean sometimes i think it's easier on social media to a degree when it's just written education uh mm -hmm. i don't know why i again maybe doing a study on it maybe i'd find out there are a bunch of people that are like whatever you know about right. this post but <laughs> right right maybe I just think sometimes when something's written, you plant a seed and mm -hmm. maybe that changes them over time uh, because you're right in the moment with a patient, you have to be very gentle and careful mm -hmm. about how you plant those seeds. And right. 
you got, cause as a new clinician, for sure, I was all gung ho about pain science or I'd, uh, you know, there'd be some intervention that had like zero efficacy. And I'd be like, well, that has no efficacy. You shouldn't. And I, and I realized looking back on that, that that wasn't the right approach. I was robbing people, you know, and maybe it was something like ultrasound that had like no research support, but someone believed it helped them. And right. I just ended up creating a fight and maybe robbing them of something that didn't hurt them. And maybe it did help them. I, you know, it's hard to. It's, I mean, the woulda, coulda, shoulda in the early sure. days of being a PT. I mean, we all have thousands of maybe hundreds of thousands of times where you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said this or, oh, I, maybe I should have watched my eye rolling on <laughs> something, yeah. you know, because yeah. it's happened to me too. Like I had a woman who's like, well, the last PT I went to said that my, the bone on the top of my leg and the bone on my bottom of my leg were out of place. So she put them back together and that's why my knee was hurting. And I was like, and I think I rolled my eyes and I was like, mm-hmm. well, I mean, I, I don't know that you would have been able to walk if that were the case, but you were still walking. Totally. Yeah. It's to, really it's, hard. To, it's yeah. hard. It's those yes. one-on-one interactions mm-hmm. are hard, but you're right. Yeah. Maybe on a greater platform, you're and and someone's seeing it repeatedly or they can go back to it and read it again or watch it again. Yeah. For it and to maybe, sink in. Totally. I mean, you're right. I think in a one-on-one interaction, there's all those nonverbals and reactions we give and we think mm-hmm. something's just BS is total BS. And right. that doesn't happen in social media, right? It's like I'm right. talking to the camera, there's no real conversation. So right. it's easier to just come at it positively and feel like you're just educating without being reactive. And uh, so that might be, that that might be, yeah, that's it. That's a, I never thought about it that way. Cause you're, I know for me, those things really frustrate me, those narratives. And so when somebody says it, I probably react in ways I don't want to, and they can probably see that. And you try Mm -hmm. to get better over the years, but I think it is easier when it's one direction like that, because you're not reacting. You're just. Right. You're just putting out like accurate information that you information that you feel is accurate or that you vetted as being accurate versus putting some like batshit crazy out out there which i know you're not doing but you know what i mean some people do yeah i know there's some people Um, doing that yeah and and so i guess that takes me to this thought is what's clickbait and Mm -hmm. and because you can put a lot of clickbait and get a lot of followers and be all shiny and and the fancy new toy, but then there's your tried and true. This is this is research driven. This is like you said. This has efficacy. This has research behind it. So how do you? Where do you fall? You know, yeah. obviously you want to fall. You don't want to be the whole clickbaity, but we see that all the time. Sure. And boy, does it get people drawn in, right? Yeah, I think you, the line there is you can't, there's so much uncertainty, right? In pain and injury rehabilitation. I think you have to be honest with that and express it. And I think people actually um, respect that. You know, I think people, for me, the clickbaitiest I get is using anatomy to pull someone in, you know, like, I'm like not, using a picture of a, yes. of a, yeah. Yeah. Like it's gluteal tendinopathy and I'm showing the pelvis and where the tendons attach. Right. You know, it's like, oh, the, and it says pain here, you know, so the person, right. <laughs> okay. They can identify like, like, I, oh, it's, I, I yeah. pain there. <laughs> I have pain outside. Yeah, there's about? some muscles. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I think, you know, there are some things, you know, sometimes I'll have posts about a specific muscle or something and realizing that like, you know, there's some, there's some things about some of those, like, well, you probably can't activate 
and isolate just that muscle, but it gets the person to understand where that muscle is. And I think that's mm-hmm. the most clickbaity I get because mine will usually say it'll be the topic and then rehab exercises. Yeah, I also yeah. don't ever say like instant fix or I don't like the term fix. It really bothers me. Right. Uh, or so- these... The, these five exercises will fix your knee pain for the rest totally. of your life, right? Totally. Yes. And I know, I know you're not doing that, but you can see the draw. So I just want the listeners to understand that when you are like disseminating information, there are ways to do it that are better than others. Mm-hmm, for sure. Because if you say something like that, you really potentially are harming that person. It doesn't get better, you know, right? I, yeah, a hundred percent. If it's five exercises that fix everyone's knee pain and you don't get better, well, where does that leave that person? There's something there's something really wrong with me then. Exactly. Right. So I think I try to be careful with that. I think that, you know, I think if you just consistently put out, I think honestly, if you just have good info that answers questions that help people, it doesn't have to be super clickbaity. You just put it out and explain it. And because honestly, most of my content is not clickbaity. I've used the same. No, no, like, I, yeah, no I agree. I mean, even exercise wise, because you see some crazy exercises on some accounts. I can't tell you how many times I just show single leg bridge, single leg squat. Right. Like, you know, I like I use the same problem. Like, and not and not like single leg squat on a ball. No, no, exactly. Balancing another ball over your head <laughs> totally. with a resistance band around your waist. Exactly. It's like literally like the tw- I probably use the same like 20 lower body exercises and the tw- same 20 upper body and almost I mean across the board like you use you know I think you know as as a PT just basic kind of mobility and resistance training exercises get most people better and are what we need and you don't have to be fancy. So I think if you're honest about the information and you consistently answer questions that are common to people, it doesn't have to be overly clickbaity. Yeah. Agreed. Um, And now where does the legal aspect fall here? You're probably waiting for that question to come because I'm sure it gets asked a lot. And it may be a reason why a lot of physical therapists like, well, I don't want to put information out because what if I put something out there and someone tries something and they get injured and then they sue me? I mean, this is the realities of of life, right? So from a legal standpoint, and you're not a lawyer, but Mm -hmm. I would obviously tell people contact a lawyer, which I'm sure you have. Um, And maybe that's your advice. So what's your advice? Well, I think aspects of, of, you know, putting information out there in the world. Yeah. Well, obviously I do think that is probably the best advice, but from what I've seen talking to lawyers and even doing the book, cause this had to happen in the book too. Mm-hmm. I, it does seem like a lot of their recommendations are disclaimers that sort of describe that the material is mostly educational and that it's not to be a replacement for care. And so I go through phases where I'm better about putting that in posts. I don't like to all the times it takes up like one of my paragraphs of my posts. Yeah, it's a lot of space. So, <laughs> totally. So I, uh, but I probably should be better. It's the wild, wild west, I think on social media a little bit with regard right. to that. You know, I mean, I've been doing that all these years and knock on wood, I haven't had any problems with that, but I, you know, it is tricky because again, you're putting something out there, you're covering some pain, injury and you're giving a few examples of things to point someone in the right direction and if they go down that road and get worse it is a tough thing so I try to it you know I'm figuring it out as I go and I and I think but most of it for me website wise the book 
on social media periodically has been to have kind of that disclaimer. And it seems mm-hmm. to me that that's what I'm recommended from, you know, lawyers yeah. most often. But. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I just don't but, want that to be a yeah. reason to hold people back. Right. Yeah. If our goal is to get, I mean, can you imagine, let's see, how many PTs are there in the U.S.? I think there's like 300,000 or something, right? It's a big, yeah. Yeah. So if even like 10% of that 300,000 mm-hmm. were out there really putting out like good, accurate information and educating the public. Number one, I think it would bring more people to physical therapists first, which is part of APTA is choose PT and PT first and all this kind of stuff. And we do have the studies uh, to back that Mm -hmm. up as to why you're better off going to see a physical therapy first for musculoskeletal pain. We're not saying like go to PT if you feel like you're having an appendectomy or or, or an appendicitis or things like that. But for musculoskeletal care seems to be the way to go. And I just feel like people like you who are real leaders in this space um, gives hope to everyone else. And now I also want to talk about Can I say Um, one thing there? Yes, absolutely. I just want to say the one thing that maybe could be a good way for people to get into this space, which is actually how I started, was that um, maybe just don't do posts that don't have exercises, you know, because I often do these carousel posts where you kind of swipe through and you see exercises that go with the condition. But that's not how I started. I started all with just a single image about a topic like labeling discrepancy. It was just education focused, you know, or whatever, like some back pain or but it didn't give people something to go start doing it was just education I think that's a safer way probably to start you know especially as you're kind of building I think once you have an audience and they kind of know you I think that does kind of build a rapport a little bit you know like talking to an actual patient it's not obviously it's a little looser and it's not quite the same thing but I do think people kind of get to know you and they get a sense of like your personality and what your intentions are. And mm-hmm. maybe people are a little more willing to cut you some slack if they get sore during the right. movement or something. Well, you beat me to the punch because I was <laughs> literally just going to ask. Now, looking at your posts now, they're very professional and like professionally filmed and audioed up and mic'd up and everything. But how did you start? I was <laughs> literally going to ask that question. You beat me to the punch. Um, so you answered that for the most part. It's still not that fancy. It looks fancy. Yeah, it's just my iPhone. And uh, my wife's a PT, so she's a lot of times in the video and my nine-year-old or my 11-year-old records them. And uh, for YouTube, my what? wife, fil- my okay. wife films See, it on my iPhone. So it's simple. People don't need anything fancy. I literally, That's the most expensive thing. That's so good thing, to know. Yeah. The most expensive thing I've ever bought was a wireless microphone for my YouTube videos, but yeah, that yeah, was yeah. like That's years helpful. later. Yeah. Just to have good audio, but literally everything is with my iPhone. I do everything, my editing, everything on here. So it's not. And what about the lighting and do you have fancy lighting? Uh, no, I mean, I just, I'm in the room that I shoot my YouTube videos. It's just normal overhead lighting. I mean, I have some lights I bought, but I don't use them that often. It's really not that fancy. I just look Mm-mm-mm. for good na- good windows. <laughs> right, right. Well, so listen, everybody, if you go to your, go to your, uh, check out Tom's Instagram and now you'll be, I feel like the veil's been lifted. <laughs> All the secrets are out. All the secrets are out and it's rehab science. So if you just go to rehab science, 
um, on Instagram, you'll be able to see uh, his videos and they really are lovely. Like they look very stylized and everything. So, I mean, I guess your nine and 11 year old have a future in video production. Totally. Get, They're learning get those, a little bit. <laughs> get those kids south a little ways from you and get them exactly. to get them to Hollywood. Totally. Um, oh, that's so yeah. funny. Yeah. I had well, no and you have idea. to realize too. Yeah. And I think people have to realize too, if you look at my account, there is a good amount of me sharing other people's stuff and tagging them. Yeah. Like today's post was a knee dissection from um, George DeHaul. Like it's a, he's a, a surgeon and anatomist and it was a great knee dissection. Oh. So I'll always tag people in those. And I just really am focused on education. So and I realized that I don't always have the best content for educating on a topic. So I, and most people are excited about that because I'm pointing lots of people towards their page. Right. Or whatever. So, right. but I, my account is kind of a mix of, my own videos with me and Kirsten, whether it's manual therapy stuff or ex all the exercises are me, but um, sometimes if it's anatomy or something, a lot of the anatomy stuff will be shared from other places. Cool. Yeah. So I think that's important too, because I was like, how are you doing all these like anatomy videos? Yeah. Yeah. See, <laughs> there's another secret. Yeah. People, there's you know another what? secret you can share. Yeah. And I think when you're starting out, you know, like I said, if you're new, you usually want to ask people because you know, if you're a brand new account, I think mm -hmm. those accounts do appreciate you reach out and say like, Hey, if I cite you and tag you, can I share this? Uh, but I, you know, a lot of these people that I share stuff from, I've known now for a while and they see it as beneficial because it just points more people mm -hmm. to them. So, but I do think if you're new, you want to ask. Yeah. Etiquette. Etiquette is important on social media. You don't want to burn bridges with people because then they don't like that. Um, yeah, that's kind of I'm I have to say I'm like kind of like blown away that's all on an iPhone. I thought you'd have like a fancy DSLR and all this lighting and no. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I'm kind of a cheapskate. I haven't bought a nice camera or anything. And so it's yeah. You it's, don't need um, it. Yeah, it the, the iPhones have it works pretty well. I mean, I think at some point I'll do that and get a better camera, but it's so nice to just be able to do everything on here, edit it with apps on there and not have to I can do well, it anywhere. Again, my next question was, how much time do you spend editing and what do you use to edit? Yeah, so uh, my editing process now for Instagram is pretty quick because of doing things for so long. Um, usually what I'll do is every so often I'll have something brand new that I'll record. Um, and then some of it is I'll go back a year and look at what I posted because people don't go back that far. So I just totally. rin rinse and repeat a little bit and yep. change it a little or something. So a lot of those, because again, it's a lot of the same conditions that most humans have. So it's like, well, I covered plantar fasciopathy a year ago. I should cover it again because nobody looked back. And, of you know, course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, do you have a plantar fasciitis post? And so I, here it is. Um, so, but in terms of something new, like if I'm filming a reel or something like that, I'll usually do that at the same time that I'm doing a YouTube video on the topic. And so all that stuff, if I'm filming something brand new, you know, say I just filmed a YouTube video today on Moralgia Parasthetica. And so just talking about that and just three movements to try for it. So that, you know, again, because we talk about this so much with patients, I'm not coming down scripted. It probably takes me 10 minutes to record the movements and talk through them. And then because I, ha I have an app on my phone called Video Shop, that's like 25 bucks a year. And uh, I just pull all those clips in, trim the ends off so there's no dead space. And then... It takes me probably, I guess it probably takes me 30 to 45 minutes to have the video done and uploaded. And then I just 
don't publish it. And I usually publish every morning. So then I'll wait mm-hmm. for the next. And I have a, I have a person on Fiverr. I, I do pay some money. I pay $5 a thumbnail on Fiverr. I have a guy in the Ukraine, actually. I just found out he's in the Ukraine who makes my thumbnail. So that's pretty cool. Very cool. So he does that. And uh, that's the only thing I kind of pay for is to have those thumbnails made. Everything on Instagram is just uh, a lot of the manual therapy reels, even though, I mean, again, people have different opinions on manual therapy. My residency was very orthopedic manual therapy focused. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I do use it at times with the right messaging with people. You know, mm-hmm. never uh, like, listen, I have no, yeah. I have no qualms about using manual therapy. Yeah. I think it's <laughs> okay. necessary. I am not anti-manual therapy. I am pro, you know, with therapy, the right therapy yeah. tailored to the patient with the mm-hmm. right message. For sure. I think that's where all the nuance is. And right. It's like, never is this meant to keep you dependent on coming back to see me, not as it correcting right. alignment or fixing your changing the structure of your body in some way. It's right. Just, something novel that maybe kind of desensitizes things. So, uh, but a lot of those manual therapy kind of reels got really popular during COVID. I think because people at home and I'd show some partner ones and my wife's a PT. So we would kind of do some things and uh, those were popular, but those were the same, just iPhone and some were just 15 seconds. Like the one crazy one, I had a levator one where she's laying on her side and I'm kind of pushing on the origin of levator right at the scapula. And mm-hmm. that video got like 9 million views. <laughs> what? And it's just her, me doing soft tissue and she's kind of raising her arm while I'm yeah, yeah, on yeah. It. But it was, it's crazy how crazy we'll get into the algorithm, but it's all very simple. Like if people want to get into it, I think start with just educational material that's safer. You don't feel like you're putting yourself out there too much and risk. If you're worried about getting in trouble, if somebody's going to try something and hurt themselves, you know, I think you start that way and just see what you think of it. Because like you said, if even 10% of PTs put out good content that's evidence-based, oh my goodness, we could totally change how people think about physical therapy because mm-hmm. as you know healthcare it's so hard all these pts are seeing so many people a day now that people just feel like um they just feel like a lot of times physical therapy is just a group exercise session or something and right or uh, i saw the pt for 10 minutes and they just yeah. went like this to me and then psh, i was exactly. out the door and you're yeah. like oh i always like oh that's not that's not everything i swear totally well it's like you said you know you look at those direct access studies the musculoskeletal content knowledge of pts right is second only to orthopedic surgeons and they don't know anything about rehab so you know i just think the public doesn't always know what we know right oh a hundred percent um and speaking about knowing what we know let's talk about your book rehab science how to overcome pain and heal from injury so it's yourself and you have a co-author right Yep, Len Cordoza. Uh, Len Cordoza. Yeah. So talk talk to me a little bit more about the book, why you wrote it, and then we'll talk about where people can get it. Sure. So the book is right here. I can see me. it. So yeah. if you're if you're listening on a podcast platform, you're gonna have to go to YouTube to look at yeah. the book. Yeah. Well, bring yeah. it closer. Yeah, it's a red um it's got a red cover. <laughs> so it's closer. Let's yeah. let's take yeah. a look. Yeah. Ooh, so it's, it's a, a thick book. It's thick. It's 496 pages. It's textbook Ooh. size. The publishing house that I work with specializes in textbook kind of uh-huh. size books for the general public. Nice. And so we wrote, I wrote this. So Glenn Cordoza, my co-author um, is actually, it was an amazing opportunity to get to work with him. He's kind of well known in the health and fitness space. He did Kelly Starrett's book, you know, Supple Leopard and mm-hmm. Brett Contreras' Glute Lab book. And um, Glenn's done a lot of books over the years. And so when he had reached out to me uh, at the start of 2021, and that was when we started this, February 2021. And uh, I was excited about it because social media, again, 
lacks the nuance. It's hard to get into the weeds with these topics. And I really mm-hmm. wanted to get deeper into pain and injury science and then also have phased programs that people could start implementing on their own when appropriate. And so a lot mm-hmm. of the book is the book is uh 22 chapters. The first five are pain science. So um what is pain? all the stuff that we've learned from Mosley and Butler over the mm-hmm. years, that kind of stuff. Or like, mm-hmm. what is pain? How does it work? What are the types of pain factors that influence pain? So I spent a lot of time talking about kind of biopsychosocial model, you know, mental health, stress, diet, movement and exercise, being sedentary, like all these things that right. we Lifestyle, know, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. That make pain complex. So that, and then um, ways to treat pain. So chapter five is that. And then chapter six through 10 are on injury and kind of teaching that chapter six is separating pain from injury. So how are pain and injury the same? How are they different? And then going through different things about injuries, different tissue types, how long on average they take to heal like a tendon versus a ligament versus mm-hmm. a car- cartilage, something like that. And then, um, but, and then, so there's a pain, the bro- book is broken in three sections, there's a pain section, an injury, injury section, and then a rehab section. The rehab section has all the programs. So there's a body map and you can go to like page 300 as a shoulder or something and then look at right. what each body region starts with a red page that shows the programs in there. So if you go to the shoulder, you'd see, okay, there's frozen shoulder, biceps tendinopathy, kind of general shoulder pain, like a rotator cuff, um, shoulder instability. So you'll see like what kind of conditions are covered in this joint region. And then people can go into it and it's three phases. So it kind of, you know, it's all pictures of me doing all the movements, but it kind of looks like that. Nice. Yeah. So it's got each exercise. Beautiful. Instructions. Yeah. So it's just meant to be more nuanced than what I do on social media. Because again, on social media, I'm showing a few exercises, but there's no instructions on how do I know when to progress from this one to this? What if I have pain mm-hmm. during this? How can I modify it? So mm-hmm. all we try to answer all those questions. And again, before you, when you get into the rehab section, before you get to the programs, there's a lot of information on, you know, when is this appropriate? When should I seek medical care? When should I go see a provider? What are red flags to rehab? Uh, trying to really educate people on, because I don't want people to just blindly jump into the programs, because again, that is the risk. And that's the main criticism, honestly, that I take for all the stuff I do is, oh, these are cookie cutter programs. And what are you doing? And I think the thing I want, I'm always kind of pushing back just on years of doing this. It's amazing to see how something that is kind of cookie cutter can help so many people. And, you know, I've had so many neat experiences with interacting with people, say in India, like 25% of my followers are in India and they don't often have access to great care or any care. And so to have conversations with people in DMs who are doing movements and exercises and getting better is really powerful. And I think if you can just try to cover the uncertainty and nuance of what we know about pain and injury and be honest about that, but then give people some strategies to start working on and teach them how to modify and how to move forward. A lot of people get better with that. So yeah, I, that was kind of, the book was meant to be kind of a more comprehensive extension of what I'm doing on Instagram. Yeah. Well, it's beautiful book. It looks amazing. Um, so congratulations. Cause that is no small feat to say it was a marathon a marathon yeah (laughs) that is really something two years so congratulations on that I'm always very impressed people who can write a book I don't think I can do it but I love to see other people do it and I cheer them on I would have never done I honestly could have never done without Glenn I have to say he's an amazing writer and is really disciplined because you're right I tried to sit down and do this years past sitting down for 10 hours a day and writing like he can do is unbelievable so it wouldn't have 
it wouldn't have happened without his kind of discipline of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, and I had something in my head and I've, I've lost it. Nope. I lost it. It was here. And I was like, Oh, I got to ask that. It's gone. Totally gone. (laughs) Anyway. Um, if it comes back to me later, then, then we'll bring it back. Where can people find the book? So the book is on, is, uh, with all the major book retailers. So Amazon and Barnes and Noble, if you're in the U S target, uh, there are a lot of people who follow my account who are located internationally. And there's a bookstore that we usually point them towards in the UK called Blackwell's and they ship globally. So, oh, cool. but people can always DM me and I can send them links so they can't find it. It is kind of tricky. I didn't realize this until getting into books, but there are, um, scammers on Amazon who take your cover and sell it for a little bit cheaper and people buy your book, but it's just people been, so I've had this happen. We always have to work with the publishing house to get Amazon to take them down because it's just a blank notebook. So people get these blank notebooks. So you have to be really careful to make sure it, anytime you buy a book on Amazon, that the author name is that author of the book because it will be a different author name and it'll be slightly cheaper and you get a fake book. No kidding. It's a whole whole new world I did. Like a cottage, a cottage scam industry that has so, sprung up on Amazon. Which That's is a bummer because you hate to because a lot of those people have reached out to me and I have to explain the situation to them, but you wonder how many people got this notebook and think I just scammed them, you know. So Oh right. So it's right. tricky because there's a lot of people and also there's so many branches of Amazon. I had someone in Poland tell me that this program I was giving away, a bonus program for people who pre-ordered the book, people were printing it and selling it on Amazon as the book. So there's all kinds of oh my God. stuff that you just can't manage because there's too many Amazon branches. But uh, anyways, it's on there. It's on Amazon, Barnes Noble, that Blackwell's group right. target. Um, and, you know, I think we wrote it first in mind was kind of the general population and trying to make pain and injury science uh, digestible for people Mm -hmm. and then have have programs. But I do think, you know, if I were, especially if I was like a new clinician, you know, because this book is basically a therapeutic exercise book. So I, over half of the book are just those exercise programs and showing how to progress through phases. I think if I was a new PT at the book, I would have wanted to have, I don't remember. I remember when I was in PT school, it was like therapeutic exercise. It was like, oh, you'll just learn that in your internships, your affiliations. Yeah. 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 Totally. I've had a lot of chiropractors and PTs, physiatrists, different doctors get it. So, um, and it has about, I have um, just a short of 500 references, all the references in the back. So I think that clinicians will like it too, because it actually has evidence. Unlike mm-hmm. there's a lot mm-hmm. of rehab books out there that just don't cite any evidence. And it's just sort of, you know, anecdotal kind of stuff. Yeah. So anyways, that's, yeah, that's kind of, those are the places you can find it. Awesome. And it came back to me, what I couldn't remember before. Mm, yeah. When you were talking about the criticism that you get is that, oh, these are cookie cutter. These are, you know, um, and what came to my mind is like for a lot of people, like you said, they don't have access or they can't get an individualized program. Like to those people, I would say like the programs aren't all that special. Mm -hmm. Just like we think about like all the special tests aren't that special. Like it's not that precious that people can't if they have access to nothing else. But this, it's it's effective to just get people moving in I some sort of a direction. I totally couldn't agree more. I just think so much of what we're doing is getting the painful area moving a little bit in a non-threatening way and gradually adding stress over time. It's not that complicated. Right. So it's just, I think, you know, I think if someone comes to see you in the clinic, you might look at them and say, oh, these are the two or three movements I want you to do. And it'd be really specific. 
-hmm. Whereas this, you know, maybe a phase has eight movements. And so the person just has to, I think that the thing that a person going through something like this has to realize is like, you don't necessarily, you have to pay attention to your body and figure out what's the right dosage of movement mm -hmm. for your system. Cause you could, right. You could flare up if you do everything. So, but I agree with you. I think exercises are not that special, just like tests are not that special. And so right. you're just getting things moving. Right. I don't, let's not overcomplicate it. Right. We're not wizards. <laughs> You know what I mean? Maybe with the manual therapy. <laughs> yeah, with the manual therapy. Yeah, then we're wizards. Yeah. But for the most part, we're not wizards, you know? Totally. We're just looking at, like you said, looking at, well, what what is a diagnosis? How can we break down what you can do as a person and what you like to do? And then we kind of come up with exercises, load them up over time as necessary and you know, people are off, off to the races figuratively and literally. Totally. Um, so now as we wrap things up, what are the main takeaways you want people to get from our discussion today? Ooh, uh, that's a good, that's a, that's a good, a lot of directions. Um, you know, I think, I think the main takeaway I would say is that social media as many negatives as we hear about it, online education, social media, whatever you want to look at, there are lots of positives. And I think I have seen an overwhelming leaning towards positives in the years I've been doing this for people with pain and injury. I just think there's so much opportunity and potential for us as PTs, knowing what we know, to be involved in education wherever we're at, uh, whether it's on social media or wherever we can be. I think that PTs are often a little intimidated by that kind of stuff. And I'm naturally kind of insecure about what do I know? I mean, I think probably a lot of us PTs are like that. And so, but I think when you just get out there, just graded exposure, right? You just get <laughs> right, out there right. and you do little bits of it. And slowly over time, you know, I think people probably look at like my account being a million followers right now. I, that wasn't like a plan. I just started doing little steps, just like mm -hmm. little baby steps. And I tried to do it every day. And I think like so many things in life, if there are people, I think that PTs have can have so much positive influence here. And if you just take off little tiny bite-sized chunks and do it on a consistent basis, that would be every day, but a few times a week, if you want to get into this space and maybe it's just to help people, maybe it's to create a business potentially for yourself, just find things that are common questions. If you answer them, it's going to help people. If you do that consistently and do it honestly, I think it's going to grow over time and you can help so many people because there's so many people in the world, as we know, that have pain and either are getting bad information. They live somewhere where they could go to a good PT, but don't know the difference. You know, I mean, most of the public has no idea about board certifications for PTs. They have no idea. Oh. They, so they aren't, they're just getting bad care. It's intentionally harmful, unintentionally, whatever. Or they live places in the world where PTs farther behind, there isn't access to care. It's too right. expensive. Like you can, have so much positive influence on people in their lives by sharing what you know. So I think to me, that's, I think that's probably the main thing I'd want to leave people with. Yeah. It's great. And now where can people find you? Yeah. If, uh, I don't know if you want people DMing you all day, but where can they find you? Where, no, what's your website and everything else? Yeah. It's totally fine. If people want to DM me, uh, this has kind of become my life now. So um, at rehab science is kind of my handle everywhere. So, but I'm mostly involved on Instagram and YouTube and uh, I do have a Facebook, uh, account, but I just kind of put things over there. I'm not as involved, yeah. but 
Yeah. So those, and I, you know, so people can DM me, a lot of people ask me questions on there, you know, do you have a post on this or what do you, you know, so I'm always open to giving opinions or sharing about my experiences and then, you know, have rehabscience.com, but that it really mostly people would interact with me on um, Instagram probably. Perfect. And we'll have links to all of that on whatever platform you're listening on right now. And even on the YouTube down below, we'll have links to everything. Okay. Last question. Knowing where you are now in your life and career, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Yes, I would say to my 20-year-old self, um, you know, I think, you know, this is, well, 20 is tricky because it's before PT school. Um, you know, I think I probably would, if I was looking back at my 20-year-old self, I would have probably encouraged myself, um, you know, to take risks. And, you know, I think when I was younger, this luckily was somewhat natural for me to kind of take risks and change my situation a lot. But a lot of people sort of discouraged me from that when I was younger and, um, and sort of telling me that it was abnormal or that I just wasn't doing the right thing. And I think, there was a lot of um, me kind of questioning, am I doing what is right? Am I making a mistake in doing this? Leaving jobs, kind of jumping around a little bit. And as it's turned out, and I think we hear more and more people talk about this, I think that is the time in life when you want to do that is to say yes to doors that open to you, even if they create some fear, because there's for sure been a number of those that happened over uh, mostly in my twenties, you know, um, even probably the biggest one was that teaching position, which ended up lasting nine years. I said yes to that. And the PTs I was practicing with at the time told me I shouldn't do that because I was going in to teach biomechanics and physiology. So it was intimidating to think back to going to teach human physiology for a semester and think about all those systems that aren't the musculoskeletal system. Mm -hmm. But it is amazing how, you know, life is this combination, I think, of doors opening and being willing to say yes. When I think you feel like I have some appropriate training and this isn't totally irresponsible. And so I think if I was going to go back and talk to my 20 year old self, I probably would tell myself just that same thing that, look, there's going to when doors open and opportunities come up and you're in this time frame, this season of your life, it's okay to say yes to those opportunities and go with them, even if you have some fear associated with it. Because nobody told me that, and I just kind of figured it out. And luckily, it went the right direction. But, you know, it could have totally scared me, and I could have said no, and then closed off to future opportunities. Right. So I feel like in a lot of ways, I got kind of lucky with the route and how things went along. But I, probably, I would have liked to have known that when I was younger. I think that's great advice and really applicable to anyone at any age, I might sure. add. Yep. So Tom, thank you so much for coming on. Great discussion. Again, for people who are interested in the book, it's Rehab Science, How to Overcome Pain and Heal from Injury. And if you're getting it on Amazon, you want to make sure the authors are Tom Walters and Glenn Cordoza and no one else. Do not get scammed. Um, or you can go to your local bookstore and purchase it in person probably, right? 
Yeah, there's actually you. Yeah, there's groups you can order through to your bookstore and people can DM me that and I can help out. So perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate you being here. Thank you, Karen. I appreciate it. It was awesome. Thank you. And everyone, thanks so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy and smart. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to leave us your questions and comments at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com.